two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Uh, Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of the Lord. So before I dive explicitly back into the text. Is there anyone who ever has or currently does watch professional wrestling at any point in your life? No shame. Okay, cool. So maybe, maybe you're familiar with this particular wrestling match, and at this point it was not, not WWE but WWF because it was the 90s. And so the World Wrestling Federation, not World Wrestling Entertainment. You're going to get some knowledge on professional wrestling this morning. There was this match in 1998. Now, I did not watch it live because I was six at the time, and my parents probably wouldn't have let me watch professional wrestling at that young of an age, but I have seen this match. There was this wrestling match between The Undertaker and Mankind, Mick Foley, and it was no ordinary wrestling match. Uh, It wasn't just like they were in the ring and they were grappling. It was a match that was... the, The ring was encompassed in this cell, like a steel cell and not just like a cage where all sides are covered and the top is open it was like the entire there was a roof to this cell there's room between the ring and the cell itself and so it was a pay-per-view event the undertaker comes out and he he doesn't even go in the ring he just climbs to the top of the cell and then mankind mcfoley comes out holding a steel chair because you know he's gonna get tired he needs to take like a rest that's why they have steel chairs right And so he throws the steel chair on top of the cell, which is like 12 to 15 feet in the air, by the way. That's significant for this story. The steel cell is very high in the air. And mankind climbs on top of the cell with the Undertaker, and the bell rings, and the match is underway. And so the Undertaker and mankind for a few minutes just like punch each other, throw each other on the cell. They're on top of this thing. Nothing like this has ever been done before in the world of professional wrestling entertainment. And so, uh, The Undertaker, there comes a point where The Undertaker throws mankind off the top of the cell. And this was planned, uh, I hate to spoil this for anyone, but all of professional wrestling is planned beforehand. (laughs) Some of the pain and injuries they endure are real, but it's all planned. And so this was planned, it was not an accident. Undertaker throws mankind from like 12 feet in the air, he slams through one of the announcer's table, knocks him out for a few seconds... And then he was struggling to get back up, Mankind. And the Undertaker's still on top of the cell, thinking, like, he may have just killed Mankind. But he didn't. And so the paramedics come out. (laughs) Praise be to God, by the way. Uh, The paramedics come out, and they have, like, a stretcher, and they're trying to get Mankind to just come to the back, and they were going to call the match because it was just, this was a very significant fall, believe it or not, falling from 12 to 15 feet 
in the air, uh, you can sustain some injuries from that. And so mankind uh, says, no, 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 we're going to finish this match because he's a very tough guy. So he climbs back on top of the cell with the Undertaker after sustaining this huge fall. And they keep wrestling. The Undertaker and mankind keep wrestling. They punch each other. They kick each other. And now the Undertaker, he is, was known for uh, his finishing move, one of them, because he had multiple. One of them was a choke slam. If you don't know what a choke slam is, it's basically where someone grabs you by the neck, picks you up, and slams you on the ground. It's a very kind thing to do to someone. And so this also was planned. The Undertaker uh, choke slams mankind on top of the cell. What was not planned was the cell breaking and, the, and mankind falling like eight feet onto the mat below. It was really cool. If you're like, if you, ever you watched wrestling and you haven't seen this match and you just want to have like a nostalgic moment, watch it on YouTube. I think it's on there. But he chokeslams mankind and uh, mankind falls onto the mat and the steel chair that he had for like his, his break time falls on his face and the undertaker, I read later in an interview, the undertaker literally for like 20 seconds thought that he killed mankind and he's sitting there in shock, looking down at him like, what have I done? This is not supposed to happen. Spoiler alert, Mankind is still alive. He was fine. They finished the match. Um, also, another fun fact, The Undertaker just jumped down through the hole that he had made, and uh, he broke his foot when he did that, I later learned. So this match just, it was very monumental for the WWF at the time. Um, and afterwards, after the match was over, uh, the camera kind of zooms in on Mick Foley's face, and it looks like he has a gigantic booger in his nose. It's not a booger. What happened is the chair hit his face, broke his tooth, it penetrated his lip, and got lodged in his nose. So mankind had one heck of a night. <laughs> and he didn't even win the match. Undertaker pinned him. Three seconds. That's how wrestling works. Professional wrestling, if you were not aware. Do you ever feel, maybe, like your mankind Mick Foley? <laughs> Not that you're necessarily wrestling The Undertaker, because if anyone, I think, in this room wrestled The Undertaker, you would lose, just hands down. He's like 6'10", 300 pounds, big guy. But do you ever feel, maybe, like your mankind Mick Foley? Because we kind of wrestle with things, right? Maybe not with people, or maybe you do. I remember when I was a teenager, me and my friends loved to wrestle. We weren't very good at it, but we did it anyway just for fun. But more metaphorically, maybe we wrestle with things. And maybe it is the hardships that we face, or maybe there are tough theological or philosophical questions that we are asking or have asked, and we kind of wrestle with them. Uh, or maybe we do wrestle with other people, but not in like an actual physical sense like The Undertaker and Mick Foley but there might be some sort of turmoil or dissonance between us and another people or group of people. And there is this sort of emotional wrestling that takes place. Or maybe we're like Jacob and we find ourselves alone in the night wrestling with God. Because verse 24 says that Jacob was left alone. He sent away his wives, he sent away his kids, and he was left alone, and he wrestles with God. And... Um, there are probably none of us in this room who have ever wrestled some actual tangible bodily form of God. If you have, I would love to talk with you about that because that is absolutely incredible. <laughs> but in some sense, we wrestle with God. And let me say really quick, 
God, I'll, I'll touch more on this later, but I just want to say this now. Uh, God is not a God who would wrestle with us the way the undertaker handled mankind. We don't serve a God who's coercive, who's going to choke slam us through the top of a cell. But maybe we are in some sense wrestling with God. And maybe the reasons we're wrestling with God is because we're scared of something or we aren't getting the answers to those tough and deep theological or philosophical questions. Or maybe we're feeling led to do something that we don't particularly want to do and we know God might be nudging us to do that, but for some reason we're resisting and so we kind of get in this grappling match with the Lord. And we actually find Jacob in a very peculiar situation in this text this morning where he has kind of been led to do something that he does not want to do. Because a couple chapters before uh, where we find Jacob in this particular text, Jacob had stolen a blessing from his older brother Esau. Esau uh, was the oldest son of Isaac, Isaac being the person who Abraham almost killed. Sacrificed, but the Lord stopped it. And so Esau was the oldest son. Since he was the oldest son, he was supposed to get his father's blessing. But Jacob, in his Jacobness, and I say that because the name Jacob literally means deceiver, someone who grabs by the heel. Jacob's always pulling something over on someone. Jacob deceives his father and manipulates him into getting Esau's blessing. And so we find Jacob in this very peculiar situation Because Esau hates Jacob now and wants to kill him. And Jacob had been sent away for a time um, to a different land away from Esau. And that's where he met his wives and had his children. But now God has told him to go back to the land of his birth. And Jacob is well aware of the fact that Esau is residing in the land of his birth. So Jacob's freaking out. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks his brother's going to kill him. And so as a way to kind of appease his brother's anger, he sends, Jacob sends some of his messengers ahead of him uh, to Esau, and he sends them with a bunch of stuff that Jacob has, because Jacob was a very wealthy and prosperous man. He had a lot of donkeys and camels and bulls and all this stuff that at that, at that particular time, in that particular context, uh, was very good to have. And so he sends his messengers ahead to Esau with all this stuff, to kind of appease his anger and be like, hey, don't murder me. And his messengers come back, and they're like, hey, so we saw Esau, and he said that he's actually just going to come to you, and he has 400 of his men with him. And so Jacob really begins to freak out because now not only does he have to face Esau, he's going to have to face him sooner, sooner than he anticipated, and Esau's bringing 400 of his men with him. And so Jacob thinks, in short, that he is going to die. And we find Jacob gripped with fear. Probably, the text doesn't use this language, but he's probably experiencing some sort of dark night of the soul. And who should enter the picture amidst all of this turmoil and angst and fear for his life but God? And I know the text says that Jacob wrestled with a man. Um, and there is some dispute among scholars the exact identity of who this man is. But it is very safe to assume that this man possesses divine qualities and that God, whether it be God in bodily form or God working through this person, it is safe to assume it's God. If you want to talk about that more later after the sermon or something, I would love to engage in that dialogue. 
But who enters the picture in Jacob's fear for his life but God? Because we serve a God who is not only willing, but desires to wrestle through life with us. God knows that Jacob is not the person he should have been or could be being. Because he's Jacob. He's someone who deceives. He's someone who grabs by the heel. He, a lot of times, operates out of selfish motive rather than selflessness. And God knows that Jacob is about to meet with Esau and that Jacob is afraid. And so God grapples and wrestles with Jacob. We see God trying to get Jacob from where he is to where he ought to be. And Jacob, again, in some sense, has been resisting God because he's Jacob. He deceives, he lies, he manipulates. And again, like I said earlier, though Jacob isn't where he ought to be, God uh, still wrestles with him, but not in the way the undertaker would wrestle, right? He's not slamming Jacob around. God is not coercive. The undertaker choke slams, whereas God humbly wrestles with us despite God's strength and power because it is still God we're talking about. Jake talked about a couple months ago, Genesis 1 and 2, where God spoke into existence all that is. He spoke into existence creation. And so if there's this God who can create out of nothing yet struggle with that which he has created, I think it it is some sort of testament to the way God interacts with God's children. I learned the other day, uh, let me just say and brag on Pastor Megan for a second, we have an incredibly gifted and educated pastor uh, in Pastor Megan. I was talking with her about this passage, and she taught me something that I did not know, that I did not previously know. God, when he wrenched or struck Jacob in the hip, It really wasn't actually a a strike at all. When we hear strike, you think God might have just punched him in the hip or like kicked him, gotten him with a knee. Essentially what God did after struggling and wrestling with Jacob all night, it was basically just, in layman's terms, a gentle touch. Just kind of touch God's hand on Jacob's hip and it wrenched it so badly to the point that Jacob for the rest of his life walked with a limp. And so God may have been able to forcefully get Jacob to where God wanted, but that's not how God works. We serve a God that loves Jacob. In love does not seek to overpower, but love seeks to be present with, even amidst the dark night of the soul. And sometimes the presence of God in some way, shape, or form wrenches us. And it is when God wrenched Jacob that Jacob received a new identity. Jacob tries to, out of probably some sort of selfish ambition, extract a blessing from this man, from God. And we've already seen Jacob steal a blessing from Esau. And so when he demands a blessing from this man, he's probably thinking he's going to get some sort of um, material blessing, something that will raise his societal status, something that can help him defeat his brother Esau if it comes to that. But what God does is say, no, you're no longer Jacob. You're no longer the person who lies and deceives, but you are the person who has striven with God and with humans and has prevailed. And from that blessing, Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. It's not any sort of success. When people saw Jacob They're like, that's the guy that wrestled with God, but they didn't see some sort of fancy crown or anything. They saw someone walking with a limp. 
and it is Israel and the Israelites uh, who God chooses to work through to bring their reconciliation of all things to God's self. So like Jacob, the Israelites, and us, the church, we are an imperfect people who wrestle with God, who strain against God. And there are two things I'd like to point out that define Israel. These might not be the only two things. The two things, one, like I've been saying, we wrestle with God. And again, that Jacob walks with a limp. These are very defining things for Israel. And these are, again, the people through whom God chooses to uh, accomplish God's work of reconciliation. In Mark chapter 10, um, we see two apostles, James and John, approach Jesus with a question. And they ask Jesus if they can have a seat at his left and at his right. And Jesus' response is essentially, you don't know what you're asking for. Because when they ask for a seat at his right and at his left, they're essentially asking for thrones. They're asking for, for some sort of, like Jacob, some sort of um, almost material blessing. And, and Jesus' response is, if you're going to follow me, if you do want to walk with me, then you must be prepared to drink from the cup from which I drink. You must be baptized with the same, baptize, with the same baptism with which I am baptized. So Jesus is essentially saying to James and John, if you want to walk with me, you must walk with a limp, for I came to serve. He says it's in that verse, verse 45, where Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so James and John, and thousands of years before this, Jacob and the church, we are all invited to be persons of faith who prevail, but to do so with a limp. I would like to take a few minutes with you all, if that is all right, to share my own story of how God wrenched my own hip and how God got me to walk with a limp. As Megan mentioned, I moved here to Kansas City uh, last June, and I began, began attending New Beginnings last September. And when I began attending New Beginnings, I had been Uh, experiencing my own wrestling match with God, so to speak, for quite some time, and it would continue on for quite some time. I would come to church, and I, though I knew Pastor Megan and Pastor Kevin from seminary, I wouldn't want to sit with them. I'd want to sit alone, because I was going through my own dark night of the soul. For years, in years, I had believed in the Christian God. I believed in Jesus, that he had come and died and risen I'd gone through the motions, and I experienced this uh, crisis in my belief because I began to reject God. I began to get very angry with the Lord, and I won't dive into too much detail. If you want to talk with me about this over a cup of coffee sometime, I'd love to do that, but all you need to know is that I was essentially either an atheist or an agnostic. I either didn't believe God existed, or if God did exist, I did not believe that God cared about me. Uh, or the church, or he was just very an impersonal being. And there were many nights where I, like Jacob, would sit up alone in my bedroom, wrestling with God, shaking my fists at God, and saying, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I felt alone, um, 
and scared because I'd just begun attending seminary and I was studying towards and paying for an education for something that I now rejected and didn't necessarily believe. But what I did not realize at the time, but I'm able to now recognize, is that God was with me alone at night, wrestling with me. And though God could have, through some sort of coercive means, got me to where God wanted me to be, that's not the way God works. That's not what love does. And through the pastoral leadership of Jake and Megan and Kevin and friends that I made at seminary, God began to gently wrench my own hip or wrench my own heart. And God revealed to me that the answers that I was seeking weren't going to be found in questions rooted in anger like I was doing. But rather, God was inviting me and reminding me through gently through the pastoral leadership of this church and through my friends that I was being invited to be a person who walks with a limp. Not to be served, but to serve others. And so I'll be honest, I don't, I still don't necessarily have the answers to all the questions that I was asking. Um, And my story does not exactly, it's not a carbon copy of Jacob's, but God revealed to me that I am to be a person and that we are to be a people who limp. And also, let me be very clear, I don't want uh, this to be something where it's like, oh, look at what Drew has done, but rather look at what God has been able to do through this church for me. And now here I stand, 11 months later, able to preach the word of God in the same very church where I once rejected God. And I'm able to stand here with a limp. And similarly, back to Jacob and Esau, Jacob, with a limp in his own step, did eventually approach Esau, terrified, and he bowed down seven times out of reverence for his brother. And rather than kill his brother, Esau, the man that Jacob so feared, embraced him, and the two of them cried together. And God brought between the two of them reconciliation. Jacob wanted to appease his brother through wealth and through his societal status, But God wanted Jacob to limp towards his brother and seek forgiveness. Church, if you feel like you're wrestling with God, know that we serve a God who is not afraid to struggle with us and who, in fact, wants to struggle with us. May we be attentive to the ways God is gently wrenching our own hips. May we be a people who walk with a limp.